the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. She was born by the river. He was born by the sea. And when they met each other, the sparks began to fly. passion of desire and the will to be free cast a spell on each other and now they're both where they want to be Sometimes we figure it out 
have to look real hard Very love, very Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, starting out with music uh, from a CD called A Slice of Heaven from Smokin' George Winters uh, featuring vocalist Michael McGlown. That was a song called The River. And um, again, I welcome you to live radio, folks. Uh, I had... uh, planned this hour. Actually, I planned yesterday to have a conversation about Catholic Charities, which has an event coming up Thursday from 5 to 7. That's Thursday, September 16th. Um, A Cheers to 80 Years celebration and their second annual Chair-ity event fundraiser. And I was going to talk with Kelly Party yesterday, and we had uh, a glitch uh, in the phone system, and she couldn't get through. So we rescheduled for uh, today during this hour, and I haven't uh, I haven't heard from her, so I don't know if we're still having communication problems or what. But uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, uh, as as I often have to do. Yesterday was was a strange day. I had to shift gears. For all three hours, the, the callers, for some reason, couldn't get through or, you know, messed up on the scheduling or something. Um, but um, it gives me a chance, coming up after the uh, first break, I'm going to uh, revisit an interview from 2019. And, and there's a story uh, that, that goes with this. That, that I'll share with you why I'm why I'm doing an encore and not maybe a pre-recorded interview that hadn't aired yet. But uh, coming up on the, the 30th of this month, September 2021, yeah, a uh, show I got kind of hooked on last season. I've been like a lot of people. I've been binge watching a lot of television, and I came across a show called The Big Sky, and I really got hooked on it. Watched all the episodes. Well, the second season is uh, about to begin. Second or third season, I'm not sure. Seasons are a lot shorter than they used to be. Um, but I was I was well into this show several episodes when I discovered in the credits that it was based on the writing of novelist C.J. Box. Well, C.J. Box was on the show back in 2019 and, and talking about uh, one of the books that this uh, television series is based on. So I thought maybe it might be fun with uh, with their season premiere coming up uh, in less than two weeks that I would uh, revisit the conversation with C.J. Box. Um, and, and he was an interesting interview, so I think, uh, I think you will probably enjoy it. But because it uh, plays the way it's set up and edited it'll play in the second and third segments of the hour 
So this first segment uh, remained open. So I thought, well, you know, when I get a chance, I like to squeeze in music by uh, local artists. And uh, I'm, I'm doing just that. I started out, of course, with uh, George Winters and Michael McGlown. Up next, a piece I'm uh, pretty fond of by Flint's own uh, Stephanie. And, uh, and, and I squeeze in these songs from time to time, but I don't always get a chance to give credit or talk about the fact that the talent pool in and from Flint and the surrounding area is as good as you're going to find anywhere. And it's uh, really kind of a signature of this show that, that almost all of the music that you hear, whether it's background music or um, featured songs or whatever are performed and, and recorded and, and uh, often written by people from this area. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, the talent pool in and from Flint and the surrounding area is as good as any you're going to find anywhere in the world. And uh, evidence of that is this uh, next song featuring Flint's own Stephanie. <laughs> Spinning real as 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the best-selling author of many novels, including the award-winning Joe Pickett series and the Highway Quartet. Blue Heaven won the Edgar Award for Best Novel in 2009, and he has won the Anthony Award, the McCavity Award, the Berry Award twice, the Western Heritage Award for Literature, and the Spur Award. His work has been translated into 27 languages, and if I keep going on and on about him, we won't get a chance to talk about his new book, The Bitter Roots. I'm talking about C.J. Box, who joins me now by phone. C.J., welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, you, you know, I was I was reading through some literature uh, uh, about your book, and there was um, a phrase that caught my ear, sort of. Um, oh, here here it was: a starred review from Booklist that said, "Not content with merely ruling Wyoming, Box has become the dominant mystery thriller author." of the Mountain West, and deservedly so. Is And, and the story in your new book, The Bitter Roots, uh, takes place in Montana. Could, that story, could this story have taken place in Maryland or Virginia? Uh, kind of, you know, it would have to be uh, uh, very much adapted and changed. The, you know, the... the Basic storyline um, is, you know, I, I think I read once where there's only like three really basic storylines in all novels. Um, I mean, this one is about uh, a private investigator, Cassie Duell, who is hired to um, investigate a, a potential or a, an alleged uh, sexual crime by a, an uncle against his niece. Uh, so it's pretty horrific, and she has to. Uh, investigate the family uh it's very prominent ranch family i suppose it could be transposed somewhere else but in this case i think it it uh because it takes place in a very remote mountainous area in montana with a fifth generation family that's kind of owned the county for a long time um it works particularly well i think in, in the in the west but i suppose it could be the that basic plot line could be changed um you know and, and adapted for somewhere else well, I, I guess what I'm getting at, C.J., is um, how much in a, in a novel, especially uh, a suspense novel or a thriller, does, how much of a role does location play? For me, it's extremely important. I think um, maybe more so than, than some other uh, uh, writers. But the sense of place for me is... Um, the, the, the place I start with, it's the most important thing, because um, I always feel like I'm writing as much about the place and the, and the you know, the local culture, um, the history of an area as much as, or more so than the plot itself. Um, I, I always think it's very important to kind of transport the reader from wherever they're, they're reading the book to, um, you know, a, a location that maybe they're not familiar with. And luckily, I um, mean, you know, I've spent my entire life in in Wyoming in the Mountain West, and spent a lot of time in Montana, and have gotten to know it pretty well. And I always, as a reader, I always find it fascinating to read about 
places that are a little bit exotic or unknown to me, whether they're in the U.S. or internationally. And so I try to get hyper-local um, with the color and the, the, the atmosphere and the culture, um, and then, then, in a sense, pull a reader through that um, with what I always hope is a page-turning plot. I remember many years ago, CJ, I went on the road playing drums with a band, and as I traveled to different regions of the country, I was looking forward to seeing all those differences, and I, I remember being a little bit let down when you know I would show up in a new town that was in another part of the country and see the same McDonald's, Wendy's, you know, uh, Walgreens, you know, on the on the main strip as I as I drove through the town. Um, are the differences in regions becoming less distinct? I think that they are. They are becoming less distinct with, with not only talking about the you know chain stores so on, but also the internet that has brought everybody together. Yeah. But there's still, um, you know, very very pronounced regional dis- differences, um, even from places like Wyoming and Montana, which are states next to each other. Uh, Wyoming is south of Montana, and in this particular part of of uh, Montana, which is uh, the uh, northwestern part against Idaho, um, there's a real distinct culture there uh, based on, you know, timber, um, a little bit of mining. It's, uh, it's, it's real rough country. It's almost, the way I described it in the book, it's like the entire big state of Montana is just shoved up hard, so hard against Idaho that it um, kind of folded up into some real severe mountains. And it's a hard place, um, you know, to, hard place to make a living. At least in the past, certainly um, in like in agriculture, because it's so heavily wooded. But it it, it has kind of spawned its own kind of um, uh, re- rebellious, resilient kind of uh, people that still live there. And does that change the kinds of things they're likely to be uh, protective of and and secretive about? It does, and in that part of the uh, the Mountain West and that part of Montana, there's a very distinctive um, uh, issue with lots of newcomers um, coming into an area that that's you know fairly traditional in terms of timber and and agriculture and you know ranches, and it's it's a very it's a very hot area in regard to second homes and what I call in the in the book the Church of Trout. Um, uh, people who may not actually fly fish, but they dress like they do and they act like <laughs> they do and they drive around in big vehicles. And, and you know, in uh, that kind of culture, kind of um, butting up against the more traditional industries. We, we get that a little bit in Michigan. Everybody dresses like deer hunters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand. Um but but getting back to the this um this this regional thing a little bit um there's there's a, a issue that that your character Cassie runs into this is a weird situation because it's a family that's very protective of family but it's something that's happened inside the family yes and actually they're protect they're protective of their legacy, but they hate each other's guts. <laughs> and they particularly they particularly hate the brother um, who has been accused of this crime, who was 
had the uh, temerity early in his life as soon as he could to get away from them. And now he's come back and is accused of this crime. And Cassie has a law enforcement background. In previous books, she was a sheriff's uh, department chief investigator. And in, in a sense, she's sort of gone over to the other side and has opened up a private investigative firm in Montana. So she's very uncomfortable working for the defense and really doesn't want to... Uh, she basically wants this guy to go back, go to prison. Well, she's got a history of, of putting people away. Right, and right. she's And she's actually been hired to completely go the other way. Or at least to um, confirm that the investigation against the brother is, was legit and above board um, so that her lawyer can go to the, the uh, accused and try to get a plea bargain. Why... Why move her into a, a different gig? Um, I well, I, I always like to have um, a central kind of ethical dilemma with the protagonist, male or female, and the, the, you know, in, aside from the plot, aside from the location, and it, I think it was time with this particular character to to move her into a different different line of work. She in previous books. Um, She'd been really affected by, you know, internal corruption and kind of the good old boy network. And um, she goes into, uh, starts her own business because she wants to relocate, move back to Montana to where she grew up and doesn't really want to go on with the sheriff's department and wants to do her own thing. And she's very dogged and um, she's a very good investigator. And so she takes up this new line of work, although she's a little bit uncomfortable with it at times. And I've, I've always wanted to write a PI novel. <laughs> you know, they're some of my favorite books, favorite books to read. And you know, the, I she's Cassie spends a lot of time in the book thinking she could get a lot more done if she had that badge. Um, you know, people can just refuse to talk to her. She can get shoved around. The local sheriff's department um, is actively working against her, and she can't go there as a you know a brother in arms. Um, that sort of comes with the territory, um, because historically, um, in in stories like this, the the police department or the law enforcement agency is always trying to sweep private investigators or. Um, as they would consider them meddlers, out of the way. Right. They don't want to be shown up. And um, in, in the Bitterroots, uh, Cassie gets the very distinct um, feeling right off the bat that the Sheriff's Department is, is actively working to undermine her investigation. And now she's, she's from Montana originally. How long has Cassie been around? Uh, she was introduced in a book called The Highway in 2013, and at, she was kind of a uh, sidekick in that book to a guy named Cody Hoyt. Um, but later in that novel, she kind of just tends to take it over, something that wasn't exactly intended by me when I <laughs> planned it all out. But I loved writing the character, and then she's now appeared, this will be the fourth book, that Cassie is the, the main protagonist. Do you know when you start a book with a character, 
a Cassie or or any of the other uh, characters that you've done, that it's going to be a series? Uh, I'd have to say no. Um, I, 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 in this case, I referred to the first, you know, three books that Cassie was in, all as standalones. And and, and I didn't, the I same didn't with see it as a second series. The same with Joe Pickett. No, that was a little different. Simply um, because when when the book was accepted by the publisher um, way back in t- the year two thousand, um, they made an offer for a you know jo- three Joe Pickett books. So I was instantly in the series business without intending it. Uh, but in this case, with the case of Cassie, it's just been book by book. And and you said that the, the Cassie books, of course, are uh, are standalone. Were the Joe Pickett books standalone, or when you know it's going to be a series, do you leave a little something hanging over the end? I leave a, a very little hanging because I think <laughs> I think every single book needs to um, needs to be able to be picked up by a reader who's not read the previous ones and not be hopelessly lost, and at the same time. I think it's unfair for writers to leave, uh, you know, cliffhangers, huge cliffhangers at the end of books, and make readers wait for a year or two to find out what happened. I think every 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 novel has to stand alone. I, I wasn't thinking in terms of a of a big cliffhanger like uh, like the old serials, you know, where where they're literally right. dangling from a cliff, and you have to tune in next week to find out what happened. Um, but but some questions, some information, some mysterious character who maybe there may be a, yeah a thing or two. But but what I really hope most is that the characters are so compelling that readers just want to see what happens next with them and follow them and and stick with them as opposed to having um, you know a threads that go from book to book to book. Now, do you when you approach a book? Um, how does the the idea for it present itself to you, and and do you think in terms of a character first, and something that's likely to happen to them, or the kind of trouble they're likely to get into, or do you come up with a problem and figure out who best to solve it? For me, it's always I always start with um, an issue or a controversy or a theme or something that just really interests me, and it's usually um, something based in this region, in the in the Mountain West, in Wyoming or Montana, something that people are talking about or something that's um, kind of hyper-local, and then do the research on that, and then try to figure out how I'm going to, in effect, pull the, the, the reader through the, that d- dilemma. And in this case... Um, I've always, I've just always been, I used to be a newspaper reporter in a really small rural place in Wyoming, and and one of the things that always fascinated me were these huge fights that the third gen, or fourth generation of, on huge ranches would get into, because um, it's usually the grandchildren of, or great-grandchildren of the founders, and they don't have the same um, vestment in uh in the land and in the ranch and they start to fight and pull it apart and some people want to leave and other ones want to take it over and it's very um very traditional but also um kind of 
you know, mythological because they, they almost divide the communities up between who's supporting which brothers and sisters. So I've always been fascinated with that, and I wanted to do it on a real dysfunctional scale. That's that's an interesting thing that is, um, I, I think, almost uniquely American because the country is so young. Right, and it, I, I, I don't, and I don't mean to intend that it's unique to the West because it could be a fourth generation farm or shoe store or something, but um, because there, there's a lot at stake in, in huge land holdings, um, and you know, with the culture of the West and lots of guns and you know, lots of divided loyalties, it kind of adds a little bit to that, and it's very, I, I agree, it's very American. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I can think of, uh, you know, of course, the Great Lakes region and, and Michigan and the auto barons, and and there were railroad barons, and, and these, you know, as as the families, as generations show up, you know, it gets further from the guys who rolled up their sleeves and built it from nothing. Right, and it's it's always fascinating to see how those, you know, big, wealthy families um, either stick together or just devolve or blow up. And then, it, it, and it's especially tough for an outsider to find themselves in the middle of it, which is the case in the Bitterroots. Exactly. Um, Cassie has some vague uh, knowledge of this county, which it's actually I made up called Loxa County, because as a high school girls basketball player, she had to go there once and had a real bad experience with the locals. So, so, so when she returns, um, she's got kind of a prejudice against them going in and hopes it has changed, but finds out it not only hasn't changed, it's gotten worse. Is that, is that affected or skewed by her perception to begin with? No, I think she's actually very open-minded when she goes there. Uh, like I said, she wants to prove that this guy is very guilty because she doesn't like him, and she doesn't like working for the defense. But the more she digs into it, the more the weirder it gets, and the more she starts to wonder if, you know, how the case was built and and where the evidence that looked lot, you know, absolutely um, a slam dunk case starts to kind of. Fr- uh, kind of frail away and um then start things start happening to her is is uh do you think cassie is um happy with her choice to become a private investigator or is is it going to continue to vex her I think it's going to continue to vex her. She likes aspects of it because she's a she's a single mom. She's got a 14-year-old son. Her her husband died years ago um, in the military, and she thinks that by being her own boss, she'll be able to have more of her her own time, spend more time with her son. Um, doesn't turn it, 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 but it, in this book, certainly that does not happen, and she feels <laughs> really guilty about the fact that she's not there. Um. How did you come to create Cassie to begin with? Because that would have been a little bit before the the recent hashtag Me Too movement, and and then you have this this strong woman protagonist. Oh yeah, that's a good question. You know, in the, like I said, when uh, you think you were just highway just and 
you think you saw that coming a little bit and and said you know i should really have you know a, a woman character I've always had strong women characters in the books, even the Joe Pickett books. There's no, I mean, he's got three daughters. Um, he's got a wife who's much smarter than he is. And um, in this book, uh, or in, in The Highway, when Cassie kind of is introduced, um, I just instantly liked her a lot more than I thought I would. And my first readers are my wife, my three daughters, my female agent, and my female editor. And they all loved her and um, thought she was very authentic and realistic and empathetic. And, and, and then I realized I kind of hit on something but didn't do it strategically. Um, it has, has that, that movement and the impact that it's had on uh, politics locally and nationally, has that impacted um, the development of, of Cassie and other female characters in your book and books to some degree yeah the the issue is i've i uh wrote about it a little bit in the last joe pickett book where some powerful politicians are brought down by it and should be um and in this one there there's some references um to cassie when she goes there as a high school girl and how um men treated her then uh, compared to how they might be treating her now and she thinks about it but she's also very tough and she's not a victim and um you know she goes right up against them and but she's not an action hero you know i think that's that's probably why uh a lot of readers like to read about her is that she's um she's kind of overweight um she's not super attractive she's not she didn't go beat up people um, but she's pretty smart, and she's very dogged and very determined. The kind of person that that us mere mortals strive to be. Well, we hope to be. Um, <laughs> although she, she she makes mistakes, um, just like Joe Pickett does in the other series. When you first come up with an idea for a book, um, where does that come from, and do you know immediately this is a job for Cassie or this is a job for Joe Pickett? A lot of it has to do with the setting, uh, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Joe Pickett is a Wyoming game warden, so the issues there, the plots, tend to revolve around um, you know, wildlife, the environment, you know, resource-based things, energy kind of issues, um, whereas Cassie is out of Wyoming and, it, and is either in the books that he'd been in North Dakota and the energy boom there, or back in Montana. So the plots are more about the place or what works best in that place as opposed to, um, you know, certain, you know, a murder mystery can happen, uh, take place anywhere, but if it's got local elements, then it kind of determines itself where it should be set, in my mind. More with New York Times bestselling author C.J. Box, straight ahead. <laughs> Fashion 
Program.com. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with New York Times best-selling author C.J. Box straight ahead. What's um, coming up next? I, I, how long does it take to, to get a book out? And and I noticed you've got a, a lot of uh, events scheduled. You're scheduled uh, in Phoenix, Cleveland, Chicago, in the in the in the span of well, and Baltimore. Uh, then Houston, all within about a week. <laughs> right, yeah. I've, this yeah, this one's a nine-day tour, which is actually, for me, kind of a short one, but very intense. I'm all over the place. And um, anybody who'd like to come can, you know, look on my website for the, the listings. But, yeah, the, I just, just before, in fact, last week, completed the first draft of the next Joe Pickett book, which will be out in March. So um, I kind of operate on a schedule of about a, a book and a half a year. And uh, years like this, two books come out. Um, the Joe Pickett book came out in March, and then this Cassie Duell book now. Next year there will just be a Joe Pickett book, and then the following year, who knows. Now I read something like 25 books. Um, what was the uh, what was your first book, and, and did it get published? Uh, I, I like to call it like my 20-year overnight success story. I had <laughs> right. written three, three manuscripts um, before I got a book pub, before Open Season, the first Joe Pickett book in, in uh, 2001. And I was just basically a self-taught novelist um, doing this on the side. And um, the, the first couple of books were really, you know, not very good and didn't really go anywhere, and they weren't published, luckily. Um, the the third one was the Joe Pickett one, which I called Open Season, and it did extremely well. And it's, but it took 20 years of pounding away until I had an agent and then finally had a publisher. When, when you said that um, you were self-taught as a novelist, what were the things that you needed to learn? Because you had been a writer. You had been writing. You'd been writing news and, I imagine, uh, right. other pieces as well. Right. I was a journalist. I wrote you know, not only straight news, but uh, eventually became a sports and outdoor editor and had a column and wrote features. And, and I even wrote a couple of travel books that, um, unfortunately, are still in print. But um, what I, I was always a reader. Uh, and always read voraciously, and especially books that were set in 
in my part of the world. And what I did was um, kind of deconstruct those novels to figure out what that writer did that made me so in, you know intrigued with him, <laughs> and then kind of work backwards that way. Who who are some of those writers? Because the first thing that popped into my head, CJ, was Zane Grey. <laughs> Right, and, and, and you know what? I, I could never finish a Zane Grey book. It, it was just too, too dense and purple prose. Um, my favorites were more like modern Western writers like uh, Wallace Stegner and Thomas McGuane and Jim Harrison, even to some degree, A.B. Guthrie. Those are the kind of writers that I really, um, really got into and read all their stuff and then, uh, then kind of took it from there. Did you know when you first started that you were going to focus on on uh, sort of whodunits or or suspense or thrillers? I did not. I never. Uh, I never really thought of the first even couple books as mysteries, and until they were until that's how they were marketed, and that's where they showed up in bookstores and libraries. I thought of them. And still, kind of do to some degree as, as just more, um, you know, contemporary Western novels, um, you know, set in the set in the place. I, and I still don't ever start a book thinking this one's a thriller, this one's a police procedural, this one's a mystery. I just write the book and then later kind of figure out what it is, or let other people figure out what it is. How how many people are in on that decision? Because you must have. Uh, an editor and and uh, uh, other people that you mentioned, you know, your immediate family. But um, who are some of the people that 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 weigh in when you're finishing up a book? Well, the 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 primary editor is the person who uh, kind of uh, you kind of almost had to think of a more as an account executive. They're not only involved in the, you know, the structure and the narrative of the book, but they, they then assemble a team, a marketing team, um, you know, they, and, and plus they bring in copy editors to go over the manuscript. But they're, they're kind of at the 30,000-foot level. And then there's a lot of people uh, with the major publishers who are involved in each book in, in terms of marketing and positioning and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so strange now to see um the book the book cover that you can pre-order on Amazon with a description of it yeah before I even halfway through the book <laughs> is is there any chance we're going to see uh either uh Joe Pickett or uh, Cassie on the uh, big screen there is a chance more 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 likely television uh. um right now the the Cassie dual books have all been um, optioned by uh, David E. Kelly, um, was a big name in television. Yeah, and Big Little Lies and all those. He's he is he's optioned all of the Cassie Duel books and all of the Joe Pickett books are currently at Paramount um, Television um, to develop a series. CJ, this is fun, but unfortunately we're out of time. But I never let. Uh... Any guests go without letting people know where they can find out more. You mentioned briefly in passing a uh, a website. What is your website? It's cjbox.net. Well, that's pretty easy. <laughs> even, yeah. I, even I can remember that, CJ. CJ, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. Good luck with the book and uh, with the next Joe Pickett book. 
Thank you very much. It's been fun. All right. Take care. Thanks. That was uh, C.J. Box, the author of a new book uh, called The Bitter Roots. He's a best-selling author of uh, many novels. And uh, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. What a, oops, sorry, I got a little short there in the microphone. Um, interesting conversation this last hour, which was a substitute. I had intended to talk about the uh, 80th, uh, 80 years of uh, community service by Catholic Charities of Shiawassee and Genesee Counties. They have an event. You could probably find out... Uh, more at their uh, their website at uh, ccsgc.org. It's coming up Thursday night. It is a fundraiser and a celebration of 80 years in service. But we substituted kind of a timely encore there with C.J. Box, and he was talking about David Kelly uh, optioning uh, some of the Cassie books uh, by C.J. Box for a television series. And it's second or third third season premiere is coming up uh, at the end of this month on uh, September 30th. It's called The Big Sky, show I got hooked on before I even realized it was based on CJ's books. And then uh, earlier in the show, we talked with Erica Schickel, very interesting conversation about her memoir, The Big Hurt. And we started out with time management guru Oliver Berkman talking about his book, 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. And speaking of authors, uh, author um, Seth David Radwell uh, of uh, American Schism will be joining the roundtable tomorrow for Armchair Politics. He has uh, become a sponsor of the show and a, uh, an occasional contributor to Armchair Politics. He'll join roundtable regulars uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter for uh, tomorrow's uh, roundtable. And uh, we'll start out the show tomorrow with radio host and best-selling author Tom Hartman talking about his latest uh, book in the um, Forgotten History series with the Forgotten History, er, no, the um, Hidden History of Healthcare. Anyway, uh, that wraps it up. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.